Tonight we come to part two of our exposition and treatment of the fifth commandment, or you might say the fifth word from the Ten Commandments. Some of you may know that also expressed as the Decalogue relating to ten words. And tonight I think this is going to feel a little bit more like teaching or instruction than demonstrative proclamation of the gospel. Um, and, and in fact, kind of a basis or a basics of our church life is that your pastors, your elders have the stewardship of regular and faithful instruction from the Word. And that is not just all doctrine as in the indicatives of Scripture, but even the imperatives. So in fact, Paul says to Titus in Titus 2.1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And from that point, he then begins to lay out all the lines of implications of the gospel for each of us in our different areas of lives, or you might say our stations in life. And so tonight's going to be a bit more teaching or instruction rather than feeling like a uh, ground and pound proclamation of the gospel. In fact, it was the Lord Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount or at the end of uh, Matthew 28 in the Great Commission from the Mount that when he said we're to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in that one name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that we are also to be teaching all that the Lord Jesus is the King of the church, has instructed or commanded us. And so we're going to do that tonight. And so this here is an important but that I want to give you. As you know that I'm not going to be proclaiming like distinctly this message of the gospel tonight. We'll be there a bit more next Sunday morning with the five solas. But it's the gospel, the message, the power of the gospel of Christ that Paul writes about in Romans 1. That God uses us, that uses to save and transform us. And it's this gospel that rescues us from our law-breaking and then transforms us, literally metamorphs us by giving his spirit to give us new life, to dwell in us, to mediate his presence, and to write his law upon our hearts so that we give and yield this grateful, joyful, humble, God-directed obedience to his word, to his law, and to his teaching. And so my goal tonight, this evening, is to be especially practical in applying this commandment. So by way of review, I'd like to briefly revisit our, our outline from last week on the first message from last Sunday morning on this command, specifically from Exodus 20 and verse 12. And we saw that there's a redemptive context to the Ten Commandments and therefore to each of the Ten Commandments. And that's found there in the prologue to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. But further, we saw that there is a foundation from creation, that creation right there in Genesis 1 
gives shape to the way that we would eventually think about this fifth commandment. We read in Genesis 1.28, and it says, And God bless them. These are Moses' words here. He says, And God bless them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over living, every living thing that moves on the earth. And there is a normal link we discussed last Sunday morning from creation between our sexuality and marriage and procreation. And our sexuality is particularly expressed in marriage. Yes, we see that we're male, distinctly male and female. And there's something mysteriously in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we read in Genesis 1 is actually expressed in the fact that we're made distinctly, not as one gender, but as two, male and female. But it's in marriage that our sexuality is uniquely expressed. And marriage, though, is also not to be separated from procreation, the bearing of children, just as procreation is not to be separated from marriage. For procreation or children is one of the primary purposes of marriage. These all go together. They're stuck from our sexuality to marriage, our union to one another, one man, one woman for life, and then to procreation, are designed to be in close and really inextricable connection to one another. And then there's the very character of the commandment. Moses here records God's words from the mountain, honor your father and your mother. Both parents are due honor. The Lord is specific. It's your father and your mother, not your father and mother, but your father and your mother. One is not to be honored at the expense of the other. One is not to be preferred to the sinful exclusion of the other. But we see also from this commandment that it's annexed with the promise And these words are added there, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then as Clint read earlier from Deuteronomy 5.16, the terms of the promise are enlarged, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now look, we, we acknowledged last week, this is not an infallible airtight promise in the sense that many sons and daughters who've honored mom and dad have yet died at young ages. And many who've dishonored and disobeyed mom and dad have lived long lives. But it's a general principle. We'd call it an axiom. It's a inspired, worthy statement. In fact, Paul really says more of it. He says, it's the first commandment with a promise. But we see also about this commandment that it's expressed in the New Testament in terms of obedience. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents 
in the Lord. Kids, if you wonder what is the single thing that God is calling you to as a child, it's to obey mom and God. And what God is saying in that is that your obedience to the Lord when you're a child in mom and dad's home looks like principally obedience to God looks like obedience to mom and to dad. And in fact, Paul adds this in Colossians 3.20. He says, children, obey your parents, not in some things, but in everything. He says, for this pleases the Lord. Have you guys ever thought about this? If you're a boy or a girl, have you ever thought that when you obey mom and dad, that if the apostle Paul was standing right here and he saw you obeying mom and dad, The Apostle Paul could say, wow, that's interesting. This is what I wrote to the Colossians. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. That's a God-pleasing moment. There's a sixth thing we saw last week, and that's this idea of making honor easier or easy. And parents of any age, And parents of any age children must be mindful of this truth. We make the God-desired honor and obedience of our children easier or more difficult by the way we live our lives. And so mom and dads, we've got to remember not to put a stumbling stone in the way of our children's honor obedience. We may complicate their honor or we may facilitate it. We may encourage them to show honor or conversely discourage them in this duty. It's Paul's point in Ephesians 6.4. He says, fathers, and it's interesting, men, we must be grateful that God has singled us out and left our wives, our children's mothers here for the moment unaddressed. And we must be humbled by this. So we must be grateful and humble That God has this word for us as men, as fathers, when he says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In fact, further humbling men for us, further humbling to our pride, is that in the parallel passage in Colossians 3, Paul simply says, fathers, Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. There's not even a positive word about bringing them up in the fear and admonition or instruction of the Lord. It's simply guard your children's heart from your anger. Don't do for things what they are capable, do for your children what they are capable of doing But do not demand of your children what their maturity, capacity, and ability have not yet fitted them to do. Know their frames like the Father described in Psalm 103. So now, for the remaining 30 minutes of our time, I want us to look a bit more closely at the command itself and glean as much as we can and apply it. And so real quickly, let's just, can we say this command? I don't know. It's fine that it's not up there. Can we say Exodus 20 and verse 12 
together and do our best. We may have, met, we may have gotten it confused with Deuteronomy 5.16, but that's okay. We'll work it out. Let's say it together if we can. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Very good. So I want to ask this question, what is the significance of the fifth commandment by its location or its placement within the Decalogue? And here it is, the fifth commandment is a hinge. It's a transition from the first table of the law, the first four commandments that deal with our relationship to God, that is vertical, our vertical responsibility in our relationship with God. And this second table of the, of the law, the last five commandments that deal with our relationship to our neighbor. And it's very interesting. If you think of two tables of the law, the first four, our relationship to God, and then the next six, our relationship to our neighbor. But I agree with a number of commentators who would say there's actually three categories. Our relationship with God, relationship within the family, and our relationship to our neighbor. Three categories, two tables. And this fifth commandment between the first four and the last five serves as a hinge or transition. John McKay describes it this way. He said, this commandment dealing with the family forms a bridge between those that relate to our relationship with God and those that are concerned with how we behave towards our neighbor. And the implication is, is that family is very central and primary to God's purpose on earth. And and with the advance of his glory and what was even intended before the fall. So second, I want to ask not only what is the significance of the location of that commandment, but what do we mean by honor? What do we mean by this word honor? And I'm going to, in a sense, flesh this out over the coming minutes. To honor another person is to give and treat that person with due respect as long as they live, asterisk. Now watch. We might add that in honor of their memory, we, can, we speak as well of them as we possibly can, even after their death. All right? So again, to honor another person is to give and treat that person with due respect as long as they live. And so this fifth commandment is more broad than, than the apparent and explicit, explicit reference to our parents and to the parent-child relationship. It deals with the honor that we hold, that we are to give to all classes and types of persons. Some of you know, last week we did a brief survey. I want to do this just momentarily. I'm going to do it, I'm going to try to do this a little bit from memory to just say we should have this type of familiarity. You know this from 1 Samuel, we can turn there, chapter 2 and verse 30. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30. And the word here was a man sent to Eli and he speaks on behalf of the Lord and he says this, therefore the Lord, the God of Israel declares, 
I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. God is owed honor. I'll just turn, thinking here, Proverbs 3 and verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. There's a commendation for giving, for tithing, for giving out of the, the abundance that God has given us. All right, let's turn then to Romans in chapter 12. Paul says in this first chapter, as he's giving out the implications within the body of Christ, the implications of the gospel, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. That's the second half of verse 10. The next chapter, chapter 13, as he's speaking of God-given authority, he doesn't say hate it, he says honor it. And we see this where he says, pay to all, verse 7, what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Now, let's do this. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Again, this is not an exhaustive survey but it is at least a brief survey. Hebrews 13, verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. Now turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. Chapter 2 and verse 17. I don't know how you could be more broad than this. Honor everyone. That means no one's excluded. There's an appropriate honor to be given to every person. It's not to say that that looks the same, but this idea of honor for another person is to give and treat that person with due respect as long as as they live. And we honor others. If you think, how is it that we honor others and can treat others with respect? We do this by our eyes, by our body language, by the tone of our voice, by our courtesy, our patience, by our consideration by our deference, our gratitude, our desire to know them, by our initiative to have time in conversation with them, by our unwillingness to highlight or dwell upon their failings, by our willingness, not unwillingness, to advance and defend their names, their reputation, and their prosperity. And to provide whatever respect, esteem, provisions that we owe them by virtue of our relationship to them. 
And so that we could respond even to the president of our own country, even if we had serious disagreement with his policy, because we may respect and honor the office, even if we're different, even vehemently different in our convictions. And so for those of you who have known the heartache of difficult Absent, aloof, neglectful, irresponsible, or even abusive and evil parents, I have a message for you. You'll never get well by drinking the poison of your parents' sins or by feasting on their failures. By discrediting or denigrating your parents, You cannot elevate yourself to a place of joy. No amount of discrediting, denigrating, or highlighting your parents' failures or sins will promote or elevate the life of God in your soul. You must never forget, you must always preach that it is your heavenly Father who loves you, who holds you fast, who will not let you go, who in the words of Psalm 18 by David is your rock, your fortress, your refuge. So you drink of him, you feast on him, you rest on him. And so I entreat you as an application here. Because we know like the the last three weeks between Pastor Mark's sermon two weeks ago and then last Sunday morning and then this evening, Satan would love nothing better than to derail you from the profit of this command by making you think that in effect you get a pass on the implications of this, not just to your parents, but all of life simply because your parents failed. You do not. In fact, God's kindness is what will help you here. And so I entreat you, set your mind upon the kindness of the triune living God who has saved any one of us who's in Christ and who cannot but will and do good for you as his daughter or son. Now, real quickly, I'd like to distinguish between honor and obedience with respect to the commandment. This commandment says, honor your father and your mother. And then it is Paul that flips it, and he says, children. He starts there, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then he quotes the fifth commandment. So how do we make sense of honor and obedience? How do we make sense of that? And by the way, kids, while we're here... Everything about honor, then, that applies to your parents appropriately applies to grandparents and aunts and uncles, and you think of teachers and those who are in authority, all right? You think about this way, though the commandment is presented to us about as parents, but we're thinking about the difference of honor and and obedience here. Rather than overlapping circles, Maybe we should think of a small circle, a smaller circle inside of a larger circle. Two circles. And the smaller inside circle represents obedience as a temporary part of the duty of honor. 
the larger outside circle represents honor as a permanent lifetime duty or obligation. Now, my in-laws are near 90 years of age. I have no obligation to obey my in-laws, but I have every obligation to honor them as Cheryl's parents and the closest persons that I have to living parents. There's no fundamental difference. And nor do our our adult children have this ongoing obligation to obey me or Cheryl. None of them do. As they did when they were minor dependent children in our home for many years. Honor is honor owed, yes. Obedience, no. And let's acknowledge that for some of you, you're going to have children finishing up high school or even college, and they're living in your home, and there's this gray land, there's this gray zone, and they're maybe in your home, they're partially financially dependent, whatever. You got to work that out with some sanctified prayer and common sense. It's not that black and white there where obedience transitions exclusively to honor. I want to move now to this fourth and final question, kind of the meat of our time. How, how may we practically honor our parents? So kids, children, I want to address you guys first. If you're living in mom and dad's home and they are providing for you and you are depending on them like the way a frog would sit on a lily pad and know that if the lily pad fails, you're in the pond, all right? So if you're still depending on mom and dad, you're a frog on a lily pad. You honor your parents by obeying dad and mom's requests, instructions, and commands. You honor dad and mom when you remember them in prayer and when you pray with them when they pray. When you remember their birthdays, when you remember their anniversary. And you may begin to serve them and help them with the responsibilities that they bear. Even the smallest of children can begin to do things like mixing together a brownie mix. Once it's in, even a three-year-old can t- stick a spoon in a bowl and do that. Let's grant that our children have far greater capacities at times than we give them credit for. Children, how do you obey your parents? You obey you or honor your parents. Your cooperation within the family is a way to express honor. Don't be that one boy or girl in the family that when everyone is in the canoe rowing that direction, you just got to row that direction. Don't be the kid that's always resisting mom and dad. Paul would say that does not please the Lord. How about having enthusiasm and support for dad and mom's efforts and initiatives in your home? That's another practical expression of honor. If dad is like, let's expand the deck and it's going to be a family work project, be excited. Even you can mix concrete. Even you can hold the end of a board while the saw 
makes it a little bit shorter. Your gratitude for the things your parents do for you is, your, is an expression of your maturity as a person who honors others. Learn to say to mom, even when she makes a meal that you don't give it an A, you think it's a C, you tell mom, thanks mom, I know you love me and dad and little sis because it doesn't matter. Or if dad cooks a meal, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, all right? It doesn't when mom and dad do something to express care for your family, you can say thank you. Learn to be a grateful child. You'll honor mom and dad that way. Remember that thank you is the lingua franca of honor. There's really nothing better as a parent to hear from a child simply thank you for, for the ways you've loved them, you know? Maybe you can't return it, but you can say thank you. When they've driven you to soccer practice for the 10,000th time and sat through great heat and cold and rain to see you not score a goal, you can say thank you, dad and mom. Yeah, and your team lose 12 to 1. All right, you can say thank you. You honor mom and dad when you say goodbye and seeming sad as they leave and go out the door and then tackling them at the knees when they get home from work at the end of a day. Don't act like ho-hum, dad's home, just another day, right? Be excited, mom's home. Give them hugs. Give them smiles. Use their names. You honor mom and dad when you use their name or even a special and accepted form of their name like dado or mamo. It means a lot when I hear my granddaughter call me booba. That's my granddad name. Yeah. I feel honored. I hope the day will never come where she'll be, she like give me that glance like, oh, it's you again. <laughs> yeah. Children, if a commandment expresses what is required, then it also has what is forbidden, and that is what you may not do. All the commandments, if they're expressed positively, that is, do this, they have things that we're not to do. And when then something is forbidden, like you shall not murder, there are things that we are to do. And so the fifth commandment is positive. Honor your father and your mother. It's what's commandment. So what does this name or the same commandment forbid? What does it say no to? It says no to disrespect in thought, word, gesture, or action. Rolling your eyes is not a spiritual gift. And it does not please the Lord. Disobedience to their requests, instructions, and commands, so long as mom and dad's requests, instructions, and commands do not violate or go against what God has said. You may not talk back to your parents. You may not curse your parents or speak disrespectfully to them. Even if you disagree with something they have said 
or they are even wrong or mistaken. God has not given you the job to tell mom and dad every time they are wrong or to correct their errors. That is not your calling if you're a child, nor are you to do that with other adults. If you think that they are wrong or mistaken, there is a respectful way to ask mom or dad if you could ask, if you could speak to them about that. Respectfully, mom, mommy, daddy, dad, mom, I think maybe what you said is not exactly right, and there's a way to do that with respect. Kids, you may not hit or strike your parents. I'm not saying you can't wrestle with your dad or try to beat your mom in arm wrestling. But like cursing your parents, this called for the death penalty for the people of Israel in Exodus 21. Now today, our jurisprudence is not the jurisprudence of ancient Israel. But the fact that cursing your parents or striking your parents in Exodus 21, 15 and 17 called for the death penalty in ancient Israel points out the grave seriousness and the great calling that we have to live lives of honor with our parents. Adults, it's your time. So I want to ask this question for those of us who have older parents, those of us who are on our own. How may we practically honor our parents? First, it's to give them the gift of time. Love is always spelled T-I-M-E, always. That's its permanent spelling. Sometimes love is appreciated in teaspoonful quantities, but sometimes you really want to give it to your mom and dad in 55-gallon drums. The point is to offer but never demand time from your parents. Give time to your parents. One thing I've learned is try to give that on their terms, maybe in their home where they would like. Go towards them instead of always asking them to come to you. Remember their dates, their birthdays, their anniversaries, and remember even the saddest days that you know they'll never, ever forget. Tell them that you love them. There's the old joke about the guy that told his wife, she complained that he never said, he, she said to him, you never tell me that you love me. So that was her complaint. It was valid. And so he said to her, he said, I do love you, and if anything ever changes, I'll let you know. As though, I, don't worry, that's like a one-time offering. No. <laughs> How often God has told us he loves us in his word, right? How many times we see that even in John's writings, particularly the apostle of love. Tell mom and dad you love them. If you're able, remind them and reminisce about special days and memories from your childhood where you knew that they loved you. You see the difference. Let them know that you love them. But let them know that you know that they have loved you. And if you can't do that with your parents, go adopt someone that's older 
that you can do that with. Are they Christians? One way to honor mom and dad is not let them just live out their lives in meaningless sedentary retirement. Remind them that the advance of the kingdom will move forward with the use of their gifts and graces no matter their age. There's another way we can honor mom and dad. Cooperate with your siblings for the care of your parents. Be a team for the benefit of mom and dad. Make your positive relationships with your siblings as conspicuous as possible. It is a gift of honor to mom and dad to know that the children that they gave birth to and raised actually kind of like each other. Maybe even love each other. How about bless them financially? Take them out to eat. Bring them unanticipated gifts. Where you can say, look, Let's get away for a weekend, and we got it, Mom and Dad. Do it sacrificially. And I would say beware of being so busy with church activities that your parents never see you or never hear from you, and your excuse would be, I'm so busy with church activities that I don't have time to call or spend time with my parents. Young adults, I want to give a caution for you here. I would say this is especially for those of you who are 18 and older, maybe 18 to 35. It is epidemic today for young adults to cancel, to marginalize, to disassociate and cut off their parents with no warrant from Scripture. Beware of this insidious, toxic tendency and temptation to say that because mom and dad see something differently, might have a different perspective, might reflect generational differences. Beware of the tendency, the temptation to cancel them. It's in vogue. And today, counselors will justify such wickedness on the base of the need for boundaries. Look, we know proper and healthy boundaries between families are good, and they're one thing. But the complete rejection of parents and the honor due them is never pleasing to God. And I recognize for some of you, you will have to labor to figure out what the fifth commandment looks like for you. And the Lord knows that. One of the things we've seen in our series from the book of Exodus, the end of of Exodus 2, God saw, he heard his people's cries. He remembered his covenant. He saw their afflictions. And Moses ends this word to say, God knew. God knows better than even you know the pain of your parents. And so God, by his grace, is able to help you apply appropriately and triage how this fifth commandment is going to be expressed in your life. Now you're going to do it. I want to close. Where do we go from here?
Maybe you're like me asking with Paul in 2 Corinthians 2.16, who's sufficient for these things? How do we ever do this? Maybe you're a child and wondering how to honor and obey your parents. Maybe you're an adult and you're wanting to honor your parents in a way that also honors Christ. Or you've been bitterly disappointed or hurt by your parents. Maybe you're a parent and you now realize you made life so difficult for your children. You were neglectful. You were abusive. You were aloof. You were irresponsible. You left your children unprepared. You left your children unprotected. You left your children unprovided for. And you're facing this. You've realized you've made life difficult for your children. You've truly handicapped their ability to honor you and others by the way that you've lived a less than worthy of honor life. Where do you go? You go to him. You go to him in humility. You go to him in humility who's committed to your eternal good who is committed to your sanctification and who's committed to bringing you to this perfect, shiny, glorious, reflecting image of his son, our Lord Jesus, the one who always honored his father. Though the writer of the book of Hebrews says, was tempted in every way as we were, Yes. Kids, can you imagine that even the Son of God may have been tempted to roll his eyes at a command of his father or mother? But we're told he was tempted just maybe like that, but was without sin. And so he can serve as a great high priest who is sympathetic and helpful to us. And so you cry out in faith to him for help. Knowing that his ear is open to your cry. And you cry out to him for wisdom. Knowing that he loves to give it generously. Without measure. And you cry out in your weakness. Knowing that he said it, that his strength is actually perfected in your weakness. And you must cry out for new and fresh outpourings of faith and repentance. And he will give it to you. For he is a good, good father. He's more good than you could ever think. He's more good than you could ever know. You could ever imagine or dream of. And because he wouldn't withhold his son from you. As your father, he will not hold one grain of goodness that you need this week. You see, he's worthy of your lifelong honor. He's worthy of your life. For he's given us his son. What would this look like in families? 
We're fathers before the throne of grace. And with hearts turned towards their children. With their wives as a team, mom and dad. Raising children that way. And children longing to honor dad and mom. What would that look like? I want to tell you in the words of John Patton. The missionary to the cannibals at New Hebrides. This is in a book by Joel Beakey on family worship as he's pointing out the great benefit of family worship together. And I close with this. Bear with me, please, just a couple more minutes. As he was headed for school to study to be a missionary, he said, my dear father walked with me for the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that party journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then whenever whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so we walked on together in almost unbroken silence My father, as was often his custom, carrying hat in hand, his lips lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks, for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence, and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, son. Your Father's God prosper you and keep you from evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could and when about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and saw him still standing with head uncovered where I left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I was around the corner in an instant. But my heart was too full and sore to carry me further, so I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Then rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he yet stood where I had left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He did not see me. And after he had gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face towards home, and began to return, his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded, from my gaze, and then, hastening on my way, vowed deeply and often by the help of God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. The appearance of my father when we parted, his advice, prayers and tears, the road, the dike, the climbing up on it and then walking away, head uncovered, have often, often, all through life risen vividly before my mind and do so now while I am writing as if it had been but an hour ago. In my earlier years particularly, when exposed to many temptations, his parting form 
rose before me as that of a guardian angel. It is no Pharisaism, but deep gratitude which make me, makes me here testify that the memory of that scene not only helped by God's grace to keep me pure from prevailing sins, but also stimulated me in all my studies that I might not fall short of his hopes and in all my Christian duties that I might faithfully follow his shining example. Oh, may God in generations to come through the witness and ministry and the gathering us of us to our children's children. Let this scene be repeated to his great honor.